Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney, and we're here with some of the stories that we've been working on at News Data. Jason, happy post-Thanksgiving. How are you yes. doing? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for asking. I had a good Friendsgiving here in NorCal and got to hang out with some some of my local friends. How about you? Yeah, we had a great Thanksgiving here. Just, uh, my family, our three kids, my wife, my in-laws, and um, an aunt. Just kind of a low-key Thanksgiving, but it was really pleasant. And yeah. uh, now it's you know full tilt into the rest of the holiday season. Yep, here we go. Yeah, so yeah, I'm gonna ask you something. I didn't. We didn't prep. Okay. In the uh, before we got on here, so yeah. You know, just fake it. All right. <laughs> okay. So we didn't have a Thanksgiving Day episode or Thanksgiving. We didn't have a an episode of of the weekly wrap up last week because of Thanksgiving. Yep. You filled us. You did some on the road reporting uh, for that from Nairuk. What was yeah. the most interesting thing that in like two sentences, what was the most interesting thing uh, that you mm-hmm. learned from Nairuk that wasn't on that rec- your uh, your reporting from the road from New Orleans, which listeners should go back and listen to. There's some really interesting stuff in there. What was the most interesting thing that got left out of that? Well, that's a good question. One thing I've really noticed, I've been covering Nairuk probably 12 years now. And um, the, re- the, the differences between different states, like uh, the conversation about independent transmission monitor, uh, Darcy Hauk from the CPUC is all about it. While uh, the chairman of the Georgia PSC was totally against it, sort of reflecting, you know, I see this more and more attitudes towards uh, the federal government and, you know, top down planning. And that's a dynamic I see sort of sharpening here at, at NARUC, which is, of course, state commissioners all around the country. So that's what I, I find most interesting about these events is all the different interpretations from, you know, depending on what part of the country people are from. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And that actually is a good, um, not segue, because we got a little bit to go, but that yeah. will tie into one of the top stories that we've got from News Data is clearing up. Uh, So first of all, why don't you let it, what do you got going on in California? Sure. Um, Well, our lead story last week was out of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. It's wholesale power sellers filing justification filings for high prices during the September heat wave. And then I have uh, billions of dollars of new funding from the California Air Resources Board for off-road equipment and clean energy. I mean, I'm sorry, clean transportation. And then finally, a little bit uh, reaction to the California Public Utilities Commission latest net energy metering proposal for rooftop solar, which is getting a lot of attention and some controversy here in California. Hmm. Seems like there's no shortage of controversy over the year in, well, any of these markets, yeah. but particularly California. Yes, with so much happening <laughs> yeah. here and so much changing. Yep, no doubt. No doubt about that. 
Well, so uh, from the Northwest, I've got a story on some differences in, in uh, perspectives on the transition to clean energy from various uh, state officials, regulatory specialists, policymakers. Uh, and then from federal regulators, FERC wants some more information about the proposed uh, Western Resource Adequacy Program. Um, it's not a market. So how does it interact with federal regulatory oversight of markets? Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah. Let's, I, I want to hear some more about that justification, the justification filings. How you, can you get us started yeah. with that? Sure. Uh, speaking of FERC, what happened here, this is uh, wholesale power prices during the September heat wave, which as always happens, went through the roof. And then the power sellers making these sales then file what's are called justification filings to FERC uh, to justify these sales. This happened before, after August 2020, when the blackouts occurred, and FERC ended up ordering refunds for a lot of the sales that were made at that time. I noticed there was a lot fewer filings this time around, perhaps because traders were and you know sellers were less willing to do these interactions uh, into do these deals because you know there's a chance FERC will roll it back. So this is kind of round two. Um, we had a, almost a dozen justification filings from companies like Transalta, Brookfield Renewables, Arizona Public Service, uh, and there were some protests filed from California Public Utilities Commission, Southern California Edison, and Pacific gas and electric. So yeah, these filings are really interesting because because they describe sort of the blow by blow uh, things that happen during uh, tight supply conditions, the way deals are made. Um, Transalta's filing w was quite interesting, um, basically saying, uh, you know, they say when the federal government unwinds these transactions, it affects the integrity of the market and injects uncertainty into trading, which appears to have happened. Here's what Transalta said, quote, we encourage the commission to correct course and prevent the continued deterioration and destruction of the WEX spot market. Pretty strong words there. These prices were above a $1,000 per megawatt hour price cap, which is in WEC. In CAISO, California Independent System Operator, sales above $2,000 per megawatt hour are allowed, which kind of creates a, I don't know, two very radically different uh, regimes right next to each other. Again, making uh, the Western wholesale uh, trading um, even more complicated. So yeah, uh, these justification filings are based on you know certain inputs like uh, the Palo Verde ice index price was at about $1,000 a megawatt per hour ice being intercontinental exchange. That's the old name. Uh, P&M said that the index price at Palo Verde was about $1,000 per megawatt hour, which indicates the sales were made at the prevailing market price. These are, uh, But these are the precise circumstances that bid cap rules are meant to limit according to a joint protest from BG&E and SCE. So a fairly technical story, um, some perspective on it. Tyson Slocum from Public Citizen, I talked to him. He said, these proceedings involve climate change price gouging. 
He said companies exploit a climate emergency, in this case, climate change induced heat wave to exploit market dysfunction and engage in price gouging. So as I said, FERC ordered refunds last time around. Well, we'll see what happens with this one. And then we'll be covering more of this. Uh, yeah, that is, some, that is some forceful language. Yeah, yes. Just real quickly, uh, is that unusual or is that par for the course from your experience? This situation is pretty, uh, pretty a pretty big deal because, you know, the laws of supply and demand dictate that when your supply is lower, the price goes up. And, you know, you can see this is for coming in and, and um, interfering with free trade or you know, more on the public advocacy side here, FERC is protecting consumers. But yeah, anytime you have uh, transactions that are in danger of being canceled, understandably, people are nervous about that. And there were some stories in these filings of uh, people really ready to bid at these prices and pay for the power, but the seller doesn't want to do it because they don't know if it's going to be unwound. So yeah, I think this is a pretty fundamental issue it's it's definitely not down in the weeds it's a it's a big one yeah yeah certainly an important story to uh, to follow and we will have more of it you have yeah. some news out of the northwest on uh, on site yeah. yeah 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 so this is one of the, the what i was talking about with the different perspectives so mm -hmm. at yeah. the uh, recent conference uh, by northwest energy coalition last month or, no, it's still November. Sorry, listeners. Earlier this month, <laughs> my colleague Casey Mahaffey uh, sat in on one of the sessions there that had some different perspectives. They had the lead of electricity and markets policy group at the Oregon Department of Energy, policy analyst from Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission, and deputy director of Re Renewable Northwest. So for listeners who aren't familiar with, the, with these organizations, these are some of the key players uh, that are really in the weeds with hashing out the nitty-gritty of uh, power policy and especially its interplay with fish and wildlife mitigation in the northwest and they were talking about uh, yeah there's we're already seeing some clashes that uh, policy analysts are trying to work out in the northwest between the huge amount of renewable energy that is needed to transition to clean energy and you know, this is going to lead to some clashes in terms of where to put all of these resources and how to get that energy to market. Uh, so the Adam Schultz from the Oregon Department of Ener Energy uh, shared some of the work that they've been doing. They're working, they've got a paper that's coming out that uh, really kind of involved a literature review of studies that have been done looking at the you know, 350 gigawatts of renewable energy uh, new renewable resources that's going to have to be built in the west over the next 30 to 40 years 80 of these gigawatts are expected to be in the northwest 30 gigawatts are needed just for oregon's transition some slightly more for washington less so for idaho and, and montana but uh, you know, as he acknowledged, uh, there's going to be some. There's going to have to be some give and take on some of these uh, in terms of what we're going to prioritize. How to really get that full build out? And so, Oregon Department of Energy is already looking ahead at how that they're going to kind of the state's going to try to parse some of those areas where priorities clash over you know land use and 
the transition to clean energy and, and other priorities that overlap with these in this area. And you know, there's there's a lot to go into here. So I'll I'll let listeners they can go and check this out. Uh, Casey Mahaffey's reporting, but it is uh, it was an interesting panel about some of the clashes ahead, and it's good to know that policy analysts are taking this work seriously now and trying to to figure out how to handle some of this uh, before we get too deep into it. Uh, so. Yeah, you wonder if uh, public acceptance of renewables might be a little bit higher because they see the public benefit, but the footprint of your average utility scale solar or wind facility is quite large. Then you need the transmission and, uh, you know, there's offshore wind question. So, yeah, there's always hurdles. Yeah, we've already seen some of these clashes in central Washington in particular in the northwest here. Mm -hmm. with wind farms and where they're sited and just the impact on land use and uh, for a variety of reasons, environmental issues, a lot of aesthetic concerns, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly, yeah, we will see more and more of these. Yep. And wildlife issues too. Yep. So going back down to California, uh, you've got a story on CARB allocating funding for some of that transition. Yeah. uh, California. Clean transportation Mm -hmm. transition. Yes, uh, we're talking billions of dollars in uh, new funding for off-road engines, clean transportation. This is CARB's uh, November 17th and 18th meetings. Um, This follows CARB's release of its latest scoping plan for California to hit carbon neutrality by 2045. These were amendments to current regulations. Uh, First stop was the off-road regulation. Uh, CARB hopes to accelerate the process of getting more than 150,000 diesel vehicles. These are older, dirtier construction and mining vehicles, things like that. They want them retired. Uh, This is really driven by the 2022 state implementation plan, which mandates a reduction of nitrous oxide by four tons per day by 2037. So yeah, uh, looking for cleaner air. CARB Chair Leanne Randolph said the oldest off-road diesel-fueled vehicles with no emission controls are 80 times as polluting as a similar size off-road vehicle purchased today. The off-road sector in this case is uh, defined as construction, mining, and industrial operation vehicles excluded are locomotives, aircraft, waterborne vessels, and agricultural vehicles. This will actually be a huge change for this sector. You know, in some cases you see CARB requiring new, uh, you know, banning the sales of new equipment. This would actually require older equipment to be retired, which means replacing those fleets. And we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, uh, the first uh, amendment was has about 1.9 billion uh, cost. And the board approved a total of 2.6 billion investment plan including more than $2 billion for zero-emission vehicles, including school and transit buses, off-road equipment, and diesel-fueled heavy-duty freight trucks, and uh, several hundred million dollars for other areas. But uh, yeah, seeing a lot of action from CARB lately, and uh, big changes coming to the energy landscape in California from these amendments. Yeah, those are some uh, big numbers, but mm-hmm. even bigger ones to come. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so my last story, uh, and I know we're 
running a little later than we're trying to here, but uh, it happens. So yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, dear listeners. So uh, yeah, FERC wants some more information from the good folks at Western the Western Power Pool who are leading the effort to stand up the Western Resource Adequacy Program, a westwide or with a footprint that's westwide outside California. Although actually, technically, there's a slim, thin, there are actually elements of or some parts of California that uh, some participants involved with the design of this uh, program, it, but they've stressed throughout this years long process of designing and, and moving towards implementation of this program to avoid in, uh, resource inadequacy with uh, surplus energy surplus uh, being outstripped by demand. They, throughout this year's long process of designing it, they have WPP power pool officials have stressed this is not a market. But even though the program facilitates facilitates transfer of energy between buyers and sellers participating in the market, so FERC, their Office of Market uh, Regulation, wants some more information from uh, the WPP about how the uh, surplus sharing mechanism of the Western Resource Adequacy Program will interact with FERC regulation of uh, markets, uh, specifically the authority that FERC grants for entities to sell wholesale energy capacity or ancillary services, what's called market-based rate authority mechanism, FERC's market-based rate authority mechanism. And so it's the purpose of it is to recognize that entities either are not big enough or have taken risks or taken steps to mitigate their ability to manipulate market prices given their their size in uh, in energy markets that are selling at market-based rates rather than cost of service rates and so essentially Mm -hmm. FERC wants to know hey if you guys are moving around energy we're talking these are some big entities that you've got a footprint that stretches across the West. How is this not going? How, how are you? Show us, give us more information so we can figure out whether or not this could influence market prices. Uh, the <laughs> officials at the Western Power Pool say that this is kind of standard questions that come up during these uh, tariff filings to get approval for adding new you know, regula- regulatory or uh, mechanisms like this. And they're not worried about ultimately getting FERC approval. They do acknowledge that this will delay their timeline somewhat, but not significantly. So they're moving ahead. So they still hope to move to the next phase of implementation uh, in early next year. So that's, that's it from the Northwest. Uh, what, what do you got on the net metering uh, proposal? Okay. Yeah. Our final story. Um, this is a reaction piece to uh, the CPUC's latest net energy metering proposal that we talked about last week and wrote about in our previous issue. That proposal released November 10th by the PUC. I won't get into the details of it. Uh, it does is generally better accepted than the uh, proposal from you know the previous one from uh, I guess that was 2021. Uh, that had a grid access charge, but solar interests still not happy with this one. And same with some public 
commenters. This is coverage from our new reporter, Ann Ernst. She covered uh, a special hearing November 16th where dozens of people called into a CPC voting meeting. This is a very emotional issue. People see it as an attack on solar. Here's a quote. President and commissioners, your solar proposal is a betrayal. Alan Marling of Livermore said, it will kill the rooftop solar industry. Once people figure out what you've done, we'll demand your resignations. So pretty, fairly extreme commentary there. Others uh, saying this will you know, deter people from getting solar. But there's also some uh, support for this. And for people that don't know what the CPUC is trying to do, they're actually acting on legislation, but... Um, they're trying to uh, basically make solar more equitable by uh, cutting the payback a little bit for what solar um, uh, units or panels earn as far as net metering. Uh, there's a principle of advocacy communications of PG&E. James Noonan uh, said that PG&E ref supports reforming the 25-year-old NEM program to ensure that all electricity customers, those with solar and those without, pay their fair share towards grid maintenance and other costs. Of course, PG&E saying that a lot of people would say, well, they're the utility trying to protect themselves. Um, but there was others. Here's Doug Peterson of San Jose. I fully support the sensible balance proposal. I urge the CPC not to weaken these long overdue reforms any further due to misguided expressions of public outrage. So the CPC is due to vote on this December 15th. There's rallies planned. This will be just like the first time around a, a major public conversation. And uh yeah, this is still a proposed decision from a CPC administrative law judge, but the PC will be under a great deal of pressure from solar community, clean energy advocates. And again, that's coverage from Ann Ernst. Yeah, uh, and that's, that is, to your point, that is very much a heated issue anywhere net mm -hmm. metering comes up. Uh, I've covered that in some proposals on that in Idaho and Montana, and there's no shortage of emotions. They run high when it comes to net metering and uh, solar. So. Yeah, I've, you know, we've been covering this for a long time. And um, I, my opinion is that there's, there are some reforms that need to happen. But of course, CPC wants to be careful and not stymie the growth, of, the growth of rooftop solar at the same time. And uh, yeah, solar is just, man, people really uh, feel strongly about this issue. Yeah. Well, that's it from me, Dan Cashpool. Thank you for listening and please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Uh, Energy is West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchpole. So I'm also on Twitter at Fortney Energy and we also have our California Energy Markets Twitter at CEM News Data. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you here next week.